We are over in Galatians as we are halfway through the the book. We started verse 1 of chapter 4. We looked at the, the last time and we saw in verse uh, 3 of 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Called us all sons, and that's a positional uh, place that we are. We are in the position of sons. So God has lots of sons. It could be male sons, could be female sons, but he has lots of sons. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We have been called into this place of being sons. But as we were looking over, we do not achieve anything through the law. We achieve it through faith. We receive it through faith. If we need to be healed, if we need a financial miracle, whatever it is we need to receive from God, we receive it through faith, not through the law. As we said before, no one ever has a testimony. At least we haven't heard one. We probably laughed at them if they did. God healed me in my body because I didn't wear any makeup this week. You know, that'd be kind of crazy. But in some places, in some, some churches, that's what we're taught. That's how we go after God. That's how we pursue God. That's how we become perfected. But that's not how we receive from God. We don't receive from God by uh, what we wear, what we put on. We receive from God by what's in our heart, by the faith that's in us. And so he says here in Galatians chapter 4, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So an heir, an heir of all things, this is a son who's in the family who is set to inherit all of the Father's wealth. Mm -hmm. The house, the cars, the goats, the oxen, whatever it is that he's got, it's all coming down to the son. He is the heir. (coughs) Everyone in that house knows who all this stuff is going to. It's going to the son. But, It says here that as long as he is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. Now, he's talking about a big house there. And in the big house, there are servants, there are sons, and there are fathers and mothers. But he says the son, even though he's in position to receive, is no different from the the hired help. The people that are just in there working for the house, there's no difference in it. He cannot access the family fortune any more than the servant can. He can't go and make a decision about it. He can't say, I'm going to kill the fatted calf. He can't say, I'm going to spend this money any more than a servant can come in and do the same thing. So what Paul is saying is that the child, even though he is an heir, does not differ at all from the servants of the house. He's on the same level. So he's doing this. This is, a, this is an example they can understand. They've seen big houses. They've seen great houses. They've seen how they function. They've seen the things that go on there. So this is what he's relating to. Something that they can, can, uh, can look at. We don't see quite as many great houses like that as uh, maybe they did. But uh, we all know that they're out there. We see them in the movies. And we, we, my house, we don't, we don't have servants. We don't say to one, you know, go and do this and they don't do it. They we want something done, we got to do it ourselves. You know, you went the long cut, who does it? <laughs> My wife does it, or I do it, that's, just, that's about it. We don't have, you know, we can't say, hey, George, come on over here, and we don't have a George. No, don't have anything like that going on. But you know that there are places out there that they, they have folks that they hire in, and they come on in, and they, they do all that sort of stuff for them. I mean, you look at some of these houses, they're big, and you think, how in the world do you keep all that clean? 
mean, we got the, the smaller houses, five bedrooms or, or five rooms in the in the house, maybe six <laughs> rooms total. I'm not talking bedrooms, just talking total rooms in the house. And how hard is that to keep clean with all the other stuff you got going on? You know, they got look at some of these ones. And my wife likes that show when the uh, on the show the channel I never watch. Uh, what's it? The the PB the public public thing. PBS. Yeah, I never watched that one. Uh, they bug me. But um, anyway, they they have that show with the the big mansion that's um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Down to Neb. I can never get the name of it right. She likes that show. Yeah. Um, it's, if I'm in there watching it with her, it's kind of like when she's in the room watching football with me or, or hockey or something like that. You know, we're there. <laughs> we're there. <laughs> That's about it. And they have this thing on. And I've seen that house from the outside in the, in the picture. I mean, wow. <laughs> I think they have more servants in that house than they have family members. I don't know. I don't know what the whole... The, it just looks like they have more, more servants in that house than they have family. And uh, that's, a, that's a lot of, of folks in there. And, but what they're saying, if you can picture that Downton Abbey, if you've seen that show, if you can picture that type of thing, if they have a child and they're raising that child up, that child is no different than any of the servants as far as their access to the money, as far as their access to the stuff that's there. They can't do anything with it any more than the servant can. The time will come. They're in line for it. The servants aren't in line for it, but the son would be in line for it, but he can't touch it yet. So this is the example... That you can, if you go home sometime, and when's the new season of Downton Abbey start? I don't. It's not on my calendar. You know, I know when the start of football season is. I know the when the start of hockey season is. I know uh, when the start of NCIS is. That was uh, last night. I haven't seen it yet, but I know that it started. <laughs> I know, I know these kind of things, but uh, Downton Abbey. No, I have no idea when that thing is on. It's uh. I guess sometime soon. But anyway, if you watch that thing, you can kind of get this idea. This is the kind of thing that Paul is relating it to. He's giving them an example that they would know about. So he said, use this as an example and see this. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child. The word there for child, there's a lot of different words for child in the Greek. Just like in the English, we have a lot of different words for child. We have baby. We have infant. We have toddler. We have teenager. Adolescent, we have, we have a, it's not just the Greek that has a lot of names for, for children. We have them as well. This particular one means does not speak. That's literally what the word means. Does not speak. So as far as an age is concerned, we're looking at a child that does not talk. It is not the youngest one. There's, there's I think, two different words they use for even younger children than this one. And it's not for ones a little bit older. Remember when Jesus says, let the little children come unto me? Well, little children is a word that you would use for one that is older than this. In this one, it's, a, it's in, in that in-between spot there, but it basically means does not speak. Napios. It doesn't speak. So, you know, you have a little child. They're, I mean, they walk before they talk most, most times. I mean, they're making noises, but they're, they're not, there's no speech to them. And so it's looking at one like that. He's saying that a, an heir is no different than that child. No different. Even though he's the, he's the heir, he's, he's gonna, that child is no different than a servant in that same house. Why? Now he goes on and he, he defines this. That child is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. He even says that he's master of all. That's, that son 
will eventually grow up and be master of the house and do things in the house and, and take charge of the house and, and, and so forth. Um, I, you know, the, the one time, I think three times I've sat down and I watched Downton Abbey with my wife. I think it's been that much. I may have fallen asleep on the other ones, but <laughs> it's just not a show that grabs me. But um, at the, there was a, I remember the one thing, because there was conflict in there, and the, the one young uh, guy... Uh, I don't. I don't ask me their names. I don't know. He's the. He is the husband of uh, one of the daughters of the guy who runs the house, and he was coming on in, and they were supposed to merge as far as the rulership of the house was concerned, and there was problems. Mm-hmm. I just remember that there was problems, and the the younger guy had ideas of what to do to make the house make money, and the uh, other guy didn't want to let go of some things, and so they had they had strife. And but here's the here's the case: you got the younger guy coming on up. He wants to do some things. And if, if you're a child, you may see some things you want to do, you can't do it. But eventually, they take over. They take over the house. Even though they are master of all, all the servants in the house are going to answer to this, this heir eventually. But not right now. Not right now. Because he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Now, this may not be in Downton Abbey, but it is in the Bible. This is what they do. The Jewish people would take their little ones and they would put them under guardians and stewards. These folks were to raise them and to teach them, you know, math, teach them uh, how to write, how to do the, teach them, you know, school them, get them so that they uh, understood the ways of the Bible, the ways of God, the ways of the world, the ways of money, how to manage money, do all these things. And so they'd put them under stewards who were to raise them up so that when they became old enough that they could handle it. We have a lot of people that are millionaires, you know, and they have kids and, and the kids never have to go out and get jobs and never really know how to take care of money. And so when the uh, parents go and the fortune gets passed on to them, they just kind of squander it. They don't make it earn any more money and eventually the, the uh, house begins to fall and they don't have as much to leave to their kids and then there's, it just wears away from, from there. I heard people, uh, my grandfather used to tell me the stories of the Rockefellers. I enjoyed them because we used to run on their property. They have a lot of property. They have a lot of property. I think I told you the story, but we, they told us, don't ever get lost up here because they may never find you. They have a lot of property. One guy did, uh, Jerry, Jerry Lee, I think his name was. He's a, he's a good runner. And he went out there and he kind of got off the beaten path and, and took a wrong turn and we didn't see him for a long time. <laughs> long time. Where'd Jerry go? We don't know. He, he was out there running. He was on the Rockefeller's estate. Uh, we don't know where he went to. We're all wondering, where's Jerry at? Eventually, he does come back. Where'd you go? We find, uh, they told me, they said, we're trying to plot it out where he went. And he came back 33 miles later. <laughs> now, that's tough when you, felt, when you felt like, you know, you're going out there for a 10 or 12 mile run and you come back 33 miles later. That's a, that's a, that's a change. <laughs> Jerry was that kind of guy we used to tease him. We said, you probably didn't even notice anything different. <laughs> Just out there running and <laughs> probably having fun. But anyway, they have a lot of property up there. They got a lot, of, a lot of land. It takes a lot of money to have a lot of property, especially in the area where they had it. It takes a, takes a lot. But what they did with their kids was um, they made them get jobs. They made them get jobs. They didn't care if they were working for minimum wage. They, they, you get out there and you get a job. I believe they even kicked them out. They had to get out there and live on their own. I believe that was the case. If I remember that right. Um, there were times, I, this is the story, my grandfather used to tell this to me. I, I don't, never heard from the Rockefellers because I don't know them. But I know that they were in a, um, 
in a hotel or something like that, and the, the one son wanted to make a phone call. And he was picking out the phone in the room to make the phone call. He says, what are you doing? I'm making a call. Don't you make the call from there. This is a long time ago. Don't you make the call from there. You make it downstairs at the pay phone. Cost you a quarter down there. Cost us more money up here. <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he's teaching them the value of, uh, of a dollar. Don't just squander it. If you can do something for less, then do it for less. So that's, that's what they taught him. And the Rockefeller state has maintained itself. They, they earned a whole lot of money and, and uh, they've passed it on. And as far as I know, they're still pretty rich. Again, I don't know them. I don't know how much money they got. I know they got more than I do. And they have been maintaining it pretty well. But this is what they did. They, they taught them to, to take care of the money that they had. Because when we put this into your hands, you need to be able to handle it. Just like your own kids when they get a credit card. That can be a fear. If they don't know how to handle the credit card, they got $500 to spend. They think, wow, I can spend $500. They don't always think that the bill's coming. And they just go on out there and they start uh, racking up some stuff and, well, they can get themselves into trouble. And if they fill up this card, that's okay because I got another one in the mail and I can start using that one. And if we just keep on going and one card after the other, get yourself in trouble. That's not handling it just right. So they put them under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Now that could be a day when you turn 13, when you turn 15, whatever the time they set. It may be when they accomplish a certain amount of things. Uh, he doesn't put in here what the time is. It may be different dads or different ways. But there is a time appointed in which they will be under the stewards. Hey, Dad, can I get out there and can I drive the car? Nope. Not yet. It's not your car yet. You're still under guardians, you're still under stewards. They didn't have the access to all that stuff. The parable that Jesus gave, the father, uh, he said, give to me what is mine. He came to that age where he was, it, was, it was entrusted to them. The father did not have to die in order for them to become an heir. Sometimes we think that. They have to die in order for me to become an heir. Not in these days. In these days, you had to hit a certain point that the father would set. When you hit that spot, you became an heir. And you could walk in there and you could spend some of the money in the checking account. You could sell one of the fatted calves. You could kill one of the fatted calves if you wanted to. If you want to have a party, you have a party. You could do that. But not until you hit that age. But as under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, in the same way he's saying, just like them, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Same thing, not able to speak. That middle age, not quite an infant, not, uh, you know, you're, you're probably walking around, but not quite a little child. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. You almost would expect him to say under the bondage of the law. But he doesn't say that. He says under the bondage of the elements of the world. The law does not come in to put people in bondage. People were in bondage already and the law came in to try and expose it. This is what he's been been going over. So for him to say you were in bondage to the law would mean that when the law came, it put people in bondage. It didn't. Since sin came in, when the elements of sin came in, that's what put us in bondage. The law did not put anyone in bondage. It merely showed you that you were in bondage. So the bondage is not the law. The bondage is the elements of the world. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. 
Now, the, the word there for children again. I gave you a couple other scriptures here I wanted to read for you. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as a spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes, napios, in Christ. He uses the exact same word there. I could not speak to you as a spiritual people. You were not at that place where you were mature yet. You were not at that place where you were sons, where you were huios. That's not where you were at just yet. I had to speak to you as babes, as ones who cannot speak in Christ. They hadn't grown up yet. So you see, he's, he's showing them right there. You're supposed to be here. I have to speak to you because you're back here. We need to get you out of that. They were, they, they were supposed to be spiritual, but they were babes. When you are a babe, when you are of this age, you may think things are great, but you are under bondage. We all may think about, you know, oh, I wish I could go back to when I was little, no responsibility, no cares, no money problems, stuff like that. Yeah, but you couldn't go anywhere you wanted. You couldn't just hop in the car and, and, and go for a ride. You remember that freedom when you first had your car? And you could just hop in that car and go for a ride. Go for, go some, oh, this was good. Yeah, I, that, when you got your job and you had your own money, you didn't have to ask mom and dad, mom, can I have $5 so I can go? No, you have my own, you have your own money. What are you going to do with it? Whatever I want to. <laughs> and there's that freedom and you enjoyed that freedom. It brought freedom, but it also brings responsibility. And sometimes we want to have the freedom without the responsibility. And that's not the way it, uh, that it works. In uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes. That's a different word right there. That's a, ba- that's a word for babes that talks about a, uh, an infant, one almost a newborn. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So here's the stage before you need to desire the milk of the word so that you can grow and get up to that napios and get up from that napios into a little children, get up from that little children into a place where you are a son. There needs to be that growth process. You need to get into, into that. Verse 4 of Galatians. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, he just said that you are under guardians and stewards until the time set by who? The Father. Now he comes right into this. But when the fullness of the time had come, God, who is the Father, sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law. So just as in the natural, parents set a time, you are not going to be an heir until such time when this comes and you are removed from the guardians and the stewards. He says in the same way, just like this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son... It is the Son of God. He is God. Born of a woman, therefore He is man. He is God. He is man. Born under the law. He is not born under sin. He is not born under bondage. He is not born under the elements of the world. He is born under the law. But He fulfills the law in that He maintained every aspect of the law and therefore overcame its, its punishment. So he's, he's setting these things aside or pointing these things out to us, I should say. God sent forth His Son, God, born of a woman, became man, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the law that came in to teach us, to instruct us, to help us, to get out from and to become, it's pointing the way. It's pointing the way. The law is not the thing that develops us. 
it merely pointed us in the direction that we had to go. But that we, we had to be taught. We had to be brought out. And he said, just as the Father set the time for the sons to become an heir, God set a time and sent his son, Jesus. Born of a woman. Born under the law. That's the time. So the time is now. We are not to go back to what we were in before. We are to walk on into what we have now. Because the time has been appointed. Why would an heir, a son, once he's been made an heir, declared to be an heir, act like a child? He wouldn't, wouldn't do that. And act like a child, I don't just mean act childishly. I mean, why would he act like one who has no access to the inheritance? If he has been made an heir, that the father said the time is appointed, you have fulfilled what needed to be done, therefore, move on and become an heir. He needs to now act as an heir. I'm sure that there are a lot of people around those uh, children that when they were put into that place of being a son, they, they still saw them as the child who couldn't do the things with the household goods, but now all of a sudden can. How many think there's some servants in there who didn't want to see this one as the master? Wait a minute, just yesterday, <laughs> we, we didn't have this thing going on. Now all of a sudden I had to listen to you? Hmm. Uh, we, we don't necessarily like that. But when the fullness of time had come, come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We've talked about this before, but we are not adopted into the family of God. And anyone who would teach such does not know what the Word says. We are born again. We are born into the family of God. The old spirit dies. The new spirit is reborn. There is no adoption process with that. But the language barrier has caused people to interpret this in light of our situation, which is not. You don't adopt, in our line, you don't adopt a son or a daughter who's born into your family. But the Jewish people do. The Jews adopt their sons. It is a particular... Actually, adoption is a, is a, means something different to us than it means to them. The word means huiathesia, son placing. They took a son born in their house and placed them into the position of a son. They were already a son. They were already an heir. But they were a child placed under guardians and stewards until the time appointed. Once they hit that spot... Then we had that son placing. They still do the same thing today with the bar mitzvahs and the... Uh, what's the other one for the girls? Bat mitzvah. They, they, they do these things and they still place them into those positions. Out of childhood into to being a man or a woman. So to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of, of sons. So he came. The time has been appointed. We are no longer under this guardian and this steward of the law that is there to instruct us and point us in the way. We've been removed from that time. We are no longer children. Now, he says, you've been placed into the position of sons to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons or the son placement. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Because you, we are sons. We, have, we are sons of God. We've been declared, again, back in chapter 3, 
for you are all sons of God. You are all sons of God. And because you are sons, he picks up here in verse 6, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. In us is the Spirit of Christ. His Spirit coming into us. We are sons now. Amen. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. You are sons now. Therefore, you're no longer a slave under the bondage, but a son. He goes on in verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you, you served those which by nature are not God's, God's. But then, indeed, when you did not know, we didn't know, I mean, you all know, we were, there was a time we didn't know God. When we didn't know God, we served something. We serve something else. We found something else to serve. Some people serve money. Some people serve uh, a, a wooden stick they put in the ground. Some people carved a rock and served that. <laughs> Who knows what it was that they served, but they served something. When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, it is more important that we are known by God <laughs> than that we know God. Amen. Remember when, when he comes in the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, Depart from me. Because you never knew me? Because I never knew you. Yeah. It's more important that we're known by God than that we know God. We start off by knowing God. There's a whole lot of people out there who say they know God, but God doesn't know them. <laughs> Apart from me, I've never, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. But now, after you have been, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Why, once you, you were a child and you were under these things, but you've been placed into a position of a son, why go back to the things that kept you a child? Why do it? Would an heir do that? No. An heir is going to act like an heir. <laughs> but why would you go back to the weak and beggarly elements, the things that cause you to be a beggar, the things that cause you to be weak, to which... You desire again to be in bondage. They, they desired to be in bondage because they came into a place of being... They was never intended to be in bondage to them, but they had come into a place to be in bondage to things that cannot mature them and things that cannot develop them. He says, all right, you've been declared to be sons. Why are you going to go back into that stuff? Why would you go back? You observe days and months and seasons and years. We're going to go back and we're going to say, well, you know, Sunday is this way and you can only do this on Sunday and you can't do that on Sunday and you can do that on Saturday, but you can't do that on Sunday. <laughs> and, you know, we go through all these different things because we think that, well, if I do that, if I observe these days, then, uh, then these things will be good. We observe different holidays. You know, well, I observe Christmas. Well, that's not in the Bible. Anybody observe Christmas in the Bible? No. Isn't that? In fact, it took a couple hundred years before they ever even uh, set that up as a holiday. Resurrection Day was a holiday, but not the birth. That wasn't a holiday for a long time. But they would celebrate when his resurrection was. So we look at this. Now we look at other people too. Well, you, you, uh, you observe Halloween, you heathen. Right? Because we're caught up on days. We're caught up on, on things like this. We don't need to be, be caught up. With it. If they want to go out there and set up Halloween, 
go to it. I observed Halloween when I was a kid. It didn't kill me. I still serve God. I still went to church. I've learned some things that keeps me from doing it now. But don't don't get hung up on it. Don't get hung up on days and and such things like that. We're we're an heir. We had the Spirit of God down on the inside of us. We don't need those kind of things to determine who's spiritual. Well, I don't observe Halloween. I guess I'm more spiritual than you are. No, you're not. Not at all. Those are not the things that measure spirituality. What days and, and what holidays and what feasts and things like that that you keep, they aren't it. You know, whether you wear makeup or don't wear makeup, whether you wear uh, dresses or pants or suits or ties or anything, none of, that, none of that makes us spiritual. We're spiritual before that, hopefully. But these natural things, these things we do to the body, these things we do outwardly, don't help us, don't develop us. I heard, uh, I think it was Brother Hagin used to tell us, he said, people in this country, we spend billions of dollars developing the human body. We spend billions of dollars developing the human mind and nothing on developing the human spirit. What's more important? It's not that you can't develop your body. It's not that you can't develop your mind. But we need to develop our spirit. If you look at our country today, a lot of emphasis on developing your body. We even want to legislate how much soda you can have in some places. How much trans fats that you can have. Whether you can buy popcorn with certain kinds of oil. Or how many french fries you can have. We want to reg- regulate all these kind of things, right? We want to do all this, this sort of stuff. And, and then in your mind, we want to develop school systems. And they're, they're teaching stuff now that... Uh, really? <laughs> The new math that they have going on, I've seen uh, a lot of people coming up with uh, with uh, examples of that, and it looks like it's uh, they've just really messed it up. <laughs> but we're spending all this money to develop the human minds, the human bodies, and yet when it comes to development of the spirit, we're seeing a whole lot of things that are targeted against it. Well, we can't have the Bible in school. We can't have prayer in school. We can't have groups that uh, teach the Bible. We're coming against the things that develop the spirit. There's a reason for it. The enemy likes you to develop your body and your, your mind and leave your spirit alone. You don't become mature that way. Well, there are two types of truth that we see in the Bible. We see this all over. This is a particular chapter, a couple of chapters where we really see this strong. The two kinds of truth that there are. First off is positional truth. And secondly is temporal truth. Positional truth. And temporal truth. Positional truth is something you have been declared to be. Temporal truth is something that you walk in. Give you some examples. Positionally, we have been declared to be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's a position. You cannot change your position by what you do temporally. Just like in a, uh, two people, they become married. That's a position. They hold a position in each other's life of husband and wife. They may have a disagreement. They may be get angry at each other and temporarily, temporarily uh, have a hard time enjoying each other at the time. But positionally, they're still in the same spot. When you're raising your children, positionally, they will always be your son or your daughter. Always. But there are times 
when you want to take them out back and and teach them a thing or two, right? <laughs> that is not the kind of behavior we want to see. And, 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 you know, we have different things that go on with that, but uh, we we need to teach them a lesson, right? Never, never teach your, you never teach your kids a lesson by disciplining them in anger, except for the lesson that being angry is okay. Got to be careful about that. We used to do that with our with our guys when they were growing up. Uh, I mean, if they got a spanking, I mean, it was it was a big thing. It was never instant. We never one time, just uh, all of a sudden they did something and just smack them upside the uh, the bottom or anything. That never did that. Never because it won't do any good. All you're doing then is inflicting pain, and you're showing them that I can discipline you out of anger. That's wrong. Because you're going to teach them a lesson that they they won't forget. It's okay if I get angry and I do this sort of thing. Oh no no no! We drew it. We draw it out. <laughs> they knew it was coming. Come on over here. I need to talk to you for a little bit. They knew. They, I'm getting spanked. They know it. Come on over here. What happened? Well, I did this. You supposed to do that? No. No, I'm not supposed to do that. What happens to you when you do do that? I'll get spanked. So what do you think is going to happen to you right now? I get spanked. Am I? Do I come across as angry? No, I come across as calm. But this thing, I mean, if you're a kid, you're saying, will you please just get this over with? Just please get it over with. No, 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 no. We need to draw this out a little bit. This, this needs to be, we're having some fun. <laughs> we're having some fun with this. And so we, we do that. And so we'll draw it on out for a little bit. And then after a while, you know, we'll finally get to the thing of the spanking. And by the time you get to the spanking part, it's just uh, three, four swats with the hand. It isn't much at all. But I'll tell you what, tears... Pain, all sorts of stuff. I mean, it just all comes on out, and you barely even had to hit them. <laughs> there's, there's no bleeding, there's no marks, there's nothing like that at all going on, because all of it was in the buildup. And they, and they don't want to go through that again. You see, the, the idea of punishment is to make it be something that I don't want to go through again, not something that drives a wedge in the relationship. And so that's what, we, that's what we constantly did. If you just grab your kids and just go upside and smack them across the head and stuff, you're not teaching them anything except when I get angry, I can do anything I want to. And that's not a good lesson to teach. Does God do that to us? God does not do that to us. How does God discipline us? Does God ever get real mad at us all of a sudden? Swat us across the face? No, He doesn't do that, does He? What's He do? He takes His time. He takes his time. He comes down to the garden and says, Adam, Eve, where you at? They're hiding. Could God have cut this short? Absolutely. What's he doing? We're drawing this out here, man. We're, we're drawing this out. Adam, Eve, what's going on? And then finally, they, they, they pop their heads out. We were ashamed because we're naked. Ah, oh, who told you you were naked? What's he doing? He's drawing it out. <laughs> He's drawing this thing out. <laughs> and he never one time takes him over his knee and spanks him. Now, it doesn't mean that spanking is not right because the Word of God says you spare the rods for the child. There are times you need to put that uh, spanking in there. No matter what the people are trying to do, the Adrian Peterson and all the other folks that are there. There's, there's times you need to, to spank them. But if you do it out of anger, you are teaching them another lesson and not the one that you want. Don't ever spank out of anger. Can't say that I 100% did that, but I sure tried. 
the thing that we need to need to work on. But two types of truth. We're, we are declared by position to be in one place, even though temporarily I'm not there. I am declared to be the righteousness of God in Christ, even though temporarily I still sin. But what I do temporarily doesn't affect what I am positionally. Now, here's the problem, and this is what Hebrews gets into. You're, what, if you continue to habitually do what you do temporarily, it can eventually have an effect upon your relationship. It can eventually have an effect upon your position. If a husband and wife never get over that and keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, can it eventually have an effect upon their relationship? Yeah. Absolutely, again. If a, if a son and daughter are always fighting with mom and dad, then there's never any sowing, there's never any building of a relationship. Can that relationship be severed? We've heard of you know kids, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk to my mom, I don't want to talk to my dad, I don't like them. And they get away from them and they move... It, it, it can, what you do temporally can eventually have an effect on what you are positionally. But it, it takes a little while. It doesn't happen overnight. Hebrews chapter 6 shows us a process that can go on that can affect the relationship. But there's positional truth. When you go through the Word of God, you need to find out, is this something that I have positionally or is this something that I walk in? I've been declared to be a son but position or uh, temporarily, I, I walk out that maturing process. I've been declared to be I am a son, but I still walk out that maturing process because there are some blessings that are mine because of my position, and there are some blessings that come to me because I walk it out. We've been all given a measure of faith. That's something that we have because of our position. But as I walk and I develop that faith, and that faith gets stronger. Does it not also yield greater benefits? How many times did Jesus say to his disciples, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? You don't have to be. That's a temporal thing. They're not walking into that maturity that they need to do. There are some things in the Word of God that are promised to us because we mature. And there are some things that are promised to us because of our position. And we need to know which is which. Because if we don't, the enemy gets us confused. And something that we're supposed to access because of our position, he says, you don't deserve that. And some things that we're supposed to walk in and receive because of our maturity. He says, you ought to have that now. And we get messed up. If you look at it, that's what he did with the folks in the garden. He messed up positional and temporal things. And they thought something that they should have now was theirs. Even though that's not quite the way that it was. No positional truth. What have you been declared to have? And no temporal truth, what am I walking out? We always ought to ask ourselves those questions. Because every truth in the Bible will fall under one of those categories. It's either positional or it's temporal. Something that I walk out to receive. The Word of God says, if you do this, I will do this. That's a temporal truth. You don't have to do any more research. That's it right there. It's temporal. If God says, you are this in Christ, that's positional. Oh, it's my position in Christ that got me that. Okay. That's what we need to do. There's, there's nothing I needed to do. But if it says, if you do this, I will do this. That's a walking out process. I need to walk it out first before I get it. So there's those two kinds of truth in the Word of God. And uh, Paul very much relies on that here in this uh, section of, of Galatians. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in your Word to understand it. 
to not be confused, that the enemy cannot come along and teach us something that is not in your word. That everything that is in your word is either positional or it's temporal. It's either something that you declared is ours now or it's something that you have promised to us if we do certain things, if we walk along certain lines. And you only do that because if we do those things, then we can handle the the blessing that would come. Then we can handle the responsibility that would come for it, the freedom that would come. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, for your spirit that indwells us. You have declared us to be sons, and if sons, then heirs. For if we are sons, we are heirs. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.